Hey, everybody. Welcome to Lucky, episode number 13 of The Narrative. I'm your host, Jeff Gallett. I'm so grateful that you found the podcast. If this is your first listen, I encourage you to follow the podcast, and I'd appreciate it if you could write and post a quick review. I find storytelling interesting, and I find the storytellers themselves fascinating. So the idea behind this podcast is to meet people who are great storytellers and to get to know them. Brian Kramer is one of those people. Brian is the co-founder of H2H Companies. He's a renowned business performance coach and a noted keynote speaker who is presented on the main stage at events all around the world, including TED events. In his performance coaching, Brian teaches other speakers, entrepreneurs, and executives how to uplevel their storytelling. Brian is the author of two best-selling books, Human to Human and Shareology. These books explore the changed landscape of interactions in the digital age, and Brian is also a contributor to Forbes. You can find out more about Brian and sign up for some content from him at briankramer.com. That's B-R-Y-A-N-K-R-A-M-E-R.com. Brian and I go a ways back. He was the president of Pure Matter, a marketing agency that did innovative, powerful work for me at Tealeaf, and for hundreds of other companies in Silicon Valley and around the world. Brian's story is powerful, and it's insightful. I think you'll find it as fascinating as I do. Hey, Brian, uh, welcome to the Narrative Podcast. It's great to see you and great to talk to you again. Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I wanted to catch up with you. you I've had this list I've iterated on for a long time about who I wanted to have on the pod and, and you've been on the list. And the reason that you're on the list, I think you have a really interesting storytelling style and an interesting background. And I think your background is going to be interesting to the listeners because of how you got to what you're doing now. Because I think there's been some, some, some leaps across some boundaries in getting there. Our relationship goes back to the time that I was at Tea Leaf and you were, you know, you had Pure Matter. We hired you guys as our agency and you guys did brilliant work for us um, back then. And, but you've evolved quite a bit since then. And I'd love you to tell a little bit about Pure Matter, but then also show, talk about the evolution and where you've gone. And then we can pivot to your writing and your speaking and the other things that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, man, that feels like forever ago that, we were doing that. And I remember uh, when we were working together, how we got the account and we were so excited. It was like one of our, uh, I think more uh, creative introductions to you guys. Cause we sent um, actual uh, boxes uh, several days apart that were uh, almost like tea leaves. They were, um, uh, I think there were uh, special rocks that had inscri inscriptions in them. Uh, forecasting what could happen. And that, when you guys got, believe it or not, I still have them and they're displayed no proudly on a shelf in my house. I took wow. them with us. They were so cool. We've got this thing. We bought at a art festival. That's a, it's a ceramic dish that's supposed to be for ripening tomatoes. You put tomatoes on it and stick it in your windowsill, but it's a beautiful yeah. piece of clay handmade art. And I have all of those rocks sitting at a display wow. in my house. So it, it, it oh, worked, wow. it worked and it's been probably 15 years and it still works every day. So do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you guys uh, picked us, it was just a super celebration. Um, and I, I miss that kind of, that kind of work, that creative work. Um, that's what we were, we were doing at the time was uh, creative work, but we got into demand gen 
and we're doing demand gen with with you and 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 then found ourselves doing demand gen for other companies other uh and it started to grow bigger and bigger with companies that then also got swallowed by ibm and it was kind of ironic because every company we worked with got swallowed by ibm um so either we did our job well or um or i don't know what but um it was it was a um uh, it then made us an ibm agency and so um that's how we ended up um getting ibm as a client and so it it really was a neat thing and my my career really escalated at the time one day i was speaking um on stage and we'd been talking about human to human um and uh, and and my personal brand was growing just through speaking, um, not not hugely, but enough that it was growing. And what I did was I started to interview, and you'll like this because you did this masterfully when you were at Tea Leaf, and you were always a great speaker. We always were able to put you up on on uh, video, and you you went through it real fast and real easily with your messaging. Um, and I was still kind of getting my sea legs with, um, with that. And so what I did is I went out and I interviewed all the CMOs at companies just to, um, co co-create content, which is still a thing is still a great thing. And so, um, my first great, uh, wonderful meeting was with, uh, Jonathan Becker, who was the CMO of SAP and, and it was just a true delight. I, I rented a studio or we did a, like a Charlie Rose kind of thing. And it, it, it was magical. And I was like, I want to do more of that. And so I just continued to do more of that. And he recommended two more CMOs from Adobe and Cisco. And then that escalated to uh, Dell and like, just kept going. And the more I did of it, the more it created like this swarm around me that was like, well, he must be connected to all these companies and pure matter must be doing not that we were, but it was like this generation, this like self, like, wow, what is pure matter doing over there? And so um, I just kind of like, well, let's do more of this. Right. And so my speaking kind of took off human to human was a part of all of that. And so when I was on stage back to the original story on Bloom, uh, Bloomberg stage in, in the West coast in San Francisco, uh, one day I was in front of CMOs, about like 75 CMOs. And I said, it's no longer B2B or B2C, it's human to human, right place, right time. All this fell together and um, and they took a picture and said uh, and tweeted it uh, and social media uh, on mostly on Twitter and LinkedIn at the time. And it got a, over 130, 35 million um, uh, mentions, not not impressions, mentions yeah. in the next 48 hours. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> that's amazing. So we we quickly took all my blogs over the last two years uh, that I had written about that topic, thank God. Um, and, um, and, and Courtney and I sat for the next straight four days and pulled all of them together, stitched them together and launched and self-published a book on Amazon that that became a bestseller instantly because of that. Um, we did our marketing job and 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 said, now we need to launch this. And and that's how it was born. So just kind of like boom, 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 boom. And content created this thing. And it was at the right time and right place because social media did create a human to human atmosphere where companies could no longer, um, they, they weren't one-sided anymore. You know that. Yeah. Um, it was like, wow, the customer can talk too. You're, you're, you have to now 
deal with this and they have a voice. Yeah, it's interesting. I uh, I mentioned to you before we started that I, I I read it when it first came out, and and we weren't working together any longer. It was well after the IBM acquisition of Tea Leaf, and I think I had actually left IBM at that point. But I you know I follow you guys, and I read it when it came out, and I um but I hadn't read it since. And I went back before we were going to do this meeting. I said, you know, I want to refresh myself on 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 human to human, and I went back and I read through it, and uh, it's. I had a guest on a couple of months ago, Megan Burns, who's an analyst, former analyst from Forrester. She's got her own um, customer experience consultancy, et cetera. And Megan was talking about the rise of human interactions driven by the pandemic. And it's true, but in my mind, I kept thinking, and I, and I love Megan to death. We've known each other forever, and she's really smart, and she's really great. But I kept thinking to myself, yeah, but Brian was talking about this. It's not that new of a thing. And then when I pulled out the book the other day to read through it again, I went back and looked and saw that the copyright was 2014. And I was like, okay, this is 2021. I interviewed Megan two months ago. But this topic, you know, like everything, I was talking about customer experience 20 years ago. It's still people are talking about customer experience as though it's an impossible thing to achieve. So, But it's interesting to look back at the genesis of things and see that a lot has changed in those seven years, I'm sure. But a lot of the stuff, when I read back through it, is really relevant today for people that haven't started the journey yet and aren't thinking the way you just described. Yeah, um, it is. It's still the same. And yet uh, and yet, a lot has has changed because social media is like table stakes at this point. And, and the human to human piece, it's now it's human to zoom to human. Yeah. But um, other than that, it's, it's really um, now the, the conversation is around AI and virtual reality and machine learning and op and bots and all this stuff. And I, and I'm still like, you know, being human is now become your competitive advantage because if you stand out as a human, you will win at this point because we're all like companies are trying to automate everything. So imagine if you stand out as as being more human. Um, you know, when you when you do that, when you think of like the most human moment that you had as a customer with somebody on the other end, it's like holy crap, that never happens anymore. Um, so now, if you reverse the role and actually be more human as part of your your pillar or your whatever you want to be as a company, you win. Yeah, it's funny. When I was at Clicktail, um, where I left in 2019, we were in essentially the same broad space that Tea Leaf was in, in customer experience and having a digital experience analytics solution. And it was right. Everybody had started to apply AI into that space that they could you know, automatically use AI to identify customer pain points, et cetera, which is a great idea. Phenomenal idea. Um, and But they really started it. We didn't use AI very much at the time. And we started to build in a layer of AI into our solution set, but our products were, um, they were a little bit behind. And then B, they still required a lot of consulting. There was people who had to actually, you as a user, it was difficult for you to dig in and grab the product and get insights on your own. But we had people who were expert on giving insights. So we sold the service, including the people. So of course our competitors positioned that because that's what us marketers do, is saying that's a weakness on their part because they're reliant on humans, we're all AI. And we had to reposition. And the thing that I drove, and it wasn't like it was just my idea, but I kept coming back to this and we, we workshopped it quite a bit internally. And I said, you know, they're positioning humans as the negative part of what we do. 
why don't we flip the table and position the humans as the positive part of what we do? That AI is great, but the combination of human instinct and intuition combined with AI is better because at the end of the day, someone had to teach AI who taught HI or AI humans. And so we ended up being this, we called it, we called it human intelligence because of the combination of human intelligence and artificial intelligence combined. Um, And even that was three years ago now. And it's just, it's an interesting thing about how that world has changed. But that, you know, I think in the last year and a half, whatever it's been since the pandemic started, you, you made the comment, it's human to zoom, but I think people actually are more craving human interaction even yeah. when it's business relationships like that, they they want to call up and have you at the other end of the phone, not just a bot at the other end of the phone. Even if the bot's more effective and efficient than you might be, they still want to talk to somebody, I think, and right. maybe more than they ever did before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When I um when I did all the uh research for my for my second book, which was actually supposed to be my first book, um uh it was, HH was a surprise baby. Uh, I was already working on Shareology and um, I set it aside when HH happened. And, and then I picked it back up after um, about a year later it was born. And, and that was a much harder book to write because it was research uh, based. And, and that, it ended up turning out better because of it. And, and I'm thankful for it. But uh, man, the research was tough because I had to go through and prove why sharing um, from a human perspective uh, actually works and how to be more human in your sharing and not more automated and not more uh, robotic. And so um, I, I set out to prove that um, that there was a way to do it so that you can, you can connect and be with others. And um, to your point, um, uh, I've I interviewed over 250 people uh, of all walks of life, but a lot of executives, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, uh, philosophers, philosophers, uh, soci- sociologists, and doctors, and I mean every walk of life. And and then I took all the transcripts from all of the interviews, and I um, and I put it into one of those word cloud. Uh, uh, tr- uh, translators. Mm-hmm. And the biggest word for why people share, why humans share is connection. And we crave connection and we'll never stop craving connection. The one reason you can even, uh, you can even relate to is that's the reason we exist mm-hmm. is because we want to connect and we want to connect more and we want more human to human uh, relationships. And so, yes, the pandemic and everything has, has, has developed this need for um, and, and, and this desire for what we want more of and what we lost and what we're going to want more of when we come out of this. Um, will, will we forget it? I don't know, but um, that, you know, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. I, um, I, it's funny. I got into it and I, I kick myself for doing it, but I'm going to, this is going to be my, you know, podcast confessional. Um, as you know, and as people who've worked with me know, I can be opinionated and argumentative about certain things. It's, it is what it is. And uh, I got into it online on a, on a forum a couple of days ago with a, a business forum, not even a personal Facebook thing. It was a business forum on Facebook, a business group. And I got into it, um, my opinion versus their opinion. And I fluffed my feathers and said, well, you know, I'm a 40-year career marketer. I was a CMO for 30 years, blah, blah, blah. I kind of know my stuff. They kind of came back and said, but we know our stuff. That's why you are working with us because we know our stuff. And we got into it. And I, when I, when I was talking to them after, and I lost, you know, I was being obnoxious and argumentative online, which is something I can do. 
And uh, I went back because I had, like I said, I had just recently reread H to H. And I think this is actually a passage that's in H to H, but it probably is something that was in your mind for shareology. Like you said, you actually, you know, it was H to H being the surprise baby. You said, get out of your head. It's time to break out of that old habit of thinking everyone knows what's rattling around in your brain and look at what you're sharing from an outsider's point of view. And I was like, oh, yeah, I got to remember that. And I actually went back, took your snippet, credited you, and posted it back to them and said, oh, look, I'm sorry. I'm obviously not communicating very well. My intent is right. And what I've got rattling around in my head, using your words, isn't coming across contextually to you guys because there's no nuance in social media, mm-hmm. right? There's no... You can't, there's no hint of sarcasm. There's no, you know, you don't know what's there. And I I can be sarcastic. And some of this was me being sarcastically argumentative, but Uh. it was just coming across as argumentative. You know, the good news is maybe because I just reread the book, I was self-aware enough to go back and kind of apologize and follow my sword over it. But I think Mm. that there's that whole component of it that people, and we've seen it with disinformation with all the arguments that go on over politics and vaccines and everything else, the inability of people to actually speak in any level on nuance or context anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They still, uh, there's, uh, it's still so complex. Um, you know, how, how many times are, are we, uh, uh, throwing around all the acronyms still and all the, uh, complexities and, and trying to make everything so challenging for ourselves and the, you know, we're, you've seen it on the corporate side or, or wherever you want to, wherever you want to point to, um, where everyone brings that language from, um, from group meetings and from internal, and then it gets to the customer and it's just so obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the reason why it, it just is, needs to be, and I know I'm standing on my, my high horse right now, but it needs to be simplified still today. Like, it's just, it, I know it's like, it's, we're saying this over and over and over again, but it just needs to be simplified because the context, contextual relationship of what you're talking about is, is not going to be there, whether you call it in an ad or you call it in social media, or you call it in an email, or you call it whatever medium or whatever, uh, even in a sales call, mm-hmm. person to person. Um, it has to be simplified. Simplify it yeah. and 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 watch everything just work better. Yeah, and I think that you know, as you pointed out early on, it's got to be conversational, right? It's not just you spewing messaging back. It's actually having a conversation in which you hear what you know. The person can sometimes somebody might counter the messaging, and you have to come back and you know, and you enter a conversation with them. That's a good thing. Like if somebody says I disagree with that point, yeah. that's the opportunity to then have an actual conversation, yeah. which is far better than me saying, "Yeah, but my tagline is this." live with it. Um, and it, you know, I'm, I'm sure when you did your 250 interviews for Shareology and you talked to CMOs of big companies like SAP and other places, you know, those people don't get those roles. I didn't have my roles as a CMO without being really in tune to my customers. So I always thought the best message is what I would hear from my customers. What about our story mes- resonated to them? And they oftentimes told us our story better than we did because we wanted to put acronyms in it. We wanted to overcomplicate it. And they would, you know, I fought for years in the tea leaf days, the idea of just positioning us as session replay because we were so much more than session replay. If you talk to a customer, tell me what tea leaf is, they'd look back and go, well, you're session replay. So at some point, 
I was too bullheaded maybe to live with this, but at some point you go, okay, customers tell us that's what we are. We can either fight them or we can just embrace it and then make that happen. And even today, 12 years later, there's still companies selling that kind of a product, talking about it as session replay because they're smarter than I was apparently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you're reminding me that um, there are uh, these moments of, of truth where the customer and, and where uh, all of us, we get joy from a moment where we are happy and they have succeeded and we just want to come back again. And then there's a moment where we don't want to come back again. And usually that's because the, the, uh, the customer experience is just not empowered to do what they're supposed to do. And you can call it marketing. You can call it customer experience. You can call it uh, the whole company, really, mm-hmm. um, whoever it is that's not empowering the company to do the whole experience. Um, and, um, and I think that's H to H, uh, the whole company is responsible for the customer experience Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and that replay is part of that experience. So, you know, we're bundling it into marketing or we're bundling it into experience. And this is the fight that companies are still having, um, to call that experience. And at the end of the day, um, you know, are, is everybody empowered to take control of that moment, that moment of truth when, um, when that thing went wrong. Like for instance, I went down to a camera store and I purchased a camera and the guy promised me that that camera that I bought was going to have Bluetooth or Wi-Fi built in so that I could transfer the photos over to my iPhone and have it work. And I was, that's the only feature I cared about. Yeah. And um, I mean, I wanted a great camera, but um, that's the one I wanted. And I went home and I, set it up and I tried to do that feature of I'm geek like that. And, and I, um, and it wasn't working and I looked it up online and, and that wasn't the camera that did that. And I was like, I trusted him to do that. So I took the camera back and I said, this isn't the thing. And he wasn't there. And they said, okay, well, we, it's this camera over here that does that. And I said, okay, well then I want that camera. And they said, okay, where's well, a $75 restocking fee? And I'm like, no, um, that's not right. Uh, he told me that that's that camera and I'm want that camera. And so I, pay, I ended up having to pay this restocking fee. And I'm like, um, I don't want your other camera. I just want to pay the restocking fee. Now I'm going to go to Amazon. Thank yeah. you. Um, and so this is the moment of truth right? Um, that, that we all face. Now that's my camera story, but we all have this like moment where the thing went wrong and, and no one's empowered to take care of it. Um, now, that's a small business story, medium business, large business. I don't care. Yeah. Human to human, empower everybody to have that moment. And then you look at an Amazon story, one of my favorites in the world, where the guy gets on and he has a chat with somebody, one of the customer uh uh, uh, support people. And, and he gets on and he says, I never got my book. And the guy knows who he is because of their data and all yeah. that. And he says, and he says, well, the, uh, uh, well, uh, sire, I, I shall be with you. How shall we make this right? And he's, and the guy on the other end is like, Bahala is not with me. And it's a, it's a book of Bahala from, um, from from uh, from the gods yeah. that he was ordering, and he he freaking knew that he was ordering this, and they're having this conversation in this whole language, and the guy is like, "This is the ultimate experience that I've ever had. This is Amazon." Wow! They empowered him to have that conversation with this guy, and he says, 
Sire, thy book shall be in thy hands tomorrow at 9 a.m. I have waived all fees and we shall never have this happen again. I'm like goosebumps. Yeah, absolutely. Whoa. Wow. That's uh, that's pretty amazing. So I want to pivot back real quick. Um, you mentioned at the beginning the uh, the way that you reached us as a client. And part of the reason... I think at the very beginning, it obviously got our attention, but you know, we didn't just hire you guys because it got our attention. There had to be substance behind, you know, wood behind the arrow, as they say, which there was. Um, and back then, and I don't remember how long ago it was. I, I want to think it was, you know, mid two thousand time frame. Um, we did a bunch of work with you guys, similar to that, dimensional kinds of direct mail pieces that were really, really effective. But let's face it, it's twenty twenty one. And those fell out of favor, I think, for more digital formats because we all, you know, we all became digitally woke, for lack of a better term. And everything was digital. It was more cost effective. You could measure it better, blah, blah, blah. We all know all the reasons for it. My question is, how is that transition for you guys in an agency? And then are you seeing any retro piece where it's starting to move backwards, where people are starting to say, you know what, to raise above all the noise of the 80 million emails and other marketing things people get every day. And because of things like this human to human, or do you think that we're going to move back a little bit where people are going to start being sending more things that the surprise of getting something in the mail or something is going to be an effective tool going forward? Yeah. Yeah. When was the last time you got a thank you note from someone? Yeah, so I think it's time to bring it back. Um, I I think it is, yeah. and I uh, I really do. Um, I it's like the mail is the best delivery mechanism right now. I mean, whoever wants to be that smart person to bring back something that's personalized and delightful, you you're whoever's listening, you're gonna win. So you just got a million dollar idea out of this conversation right here. Well, like I, do it. I saw that one of the videos that you have on your posted on your LinkedIn is a little testimonial testimonial that you did. And I gonna I forget the guy's name, but who wrote a book on experience experience. Oh, Dan Gingas. Dan Gingas, yeah. thank you. And you were kind of like a little kid in a candy store because he actually sent you yeah. a dimensional promotional piece for his book, which is like you, you just think about it. I look at it contextually and go, wow, that's an interesting approach in 2021 that he actually was smart enough and thoughtful enough to get out there, which is part of what prompted me to ask you the question, because I just think it's an interesting, um, yeah. you know, directionally that's, work. You know, everything's he's a, one of my coaching clients and a lot of my author clients uh, I have do that. They, they do book launch boxes and we send them to, um, to influencers and have them open them up. So I was kind of playing the part, but, um, you know, a lot of them are, are, um, important because, uh, you well, especially him, he's an experience. He is an experienced yeah, guy. Yeah. So if he didn't do it, it's like, come on, Dan. Um, and he's, he's a great guy. So, uh, it's, it's really, uh, it's really neat to get something in the mail. I I've seen conferences now start to like virtual conferences start to do that. I think that's cool so that you can follow along in the conference and actually like open up, like, you know, something that's, that's physical that you can play with during the hour that you're doing something with the conference. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, you have the workbook set aside and then you have this over here set aside. Cause we're not going to go back to hundred percent in-person conferences. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways that we can start to think three-dimensional. I think, um, that'll be really cool. Yeah. But, um, I, um, 
I know that uh, they, the, you know, you may know the stats better than I do, but email open rates are going way down, yeah. especially with what Apple just did. Um, and then, um, and then the, uh, email marketing is really super hyper niche and focused. Now you really have to get granular on who your audience is and yeah. you really want to make it, um, you know, uh, really hyper targeted. And at the same time, I'm, I'm like, you know, nail a, nail a macro list, like really get, get human to human, mm -hmm. like get, get like uh, a core 500, a core thousand and, and go there instead of going to the thousands and millions of emails as a large company or whatever size you are and start, um, start getting, you know, really good at like one-to-one -one video, um, you know, start like put a video of yourself up and send it to someone, mm -hmm. watch that magic un unveil itself. Um, that kind of stuff is where you're going to get more, more, um, more interest. If you can't do the the mailing because it is expensive, then then get granular on how you can reach individuals. You um you touched on briefly your coaching. I'd love to explore that a little bit with you, just in terms of you know I see this progression of the things you learned in the agency, you then converted content into a book, you then wrote another book, you've done the speaking things, all the stuff you described, um, but then you transitioned that kind of brand, if you will, of yourself on stage into a coaching role for other executives. Talk, can you talk about that a little bit, what you're doing there and, and the kind of people that you're helping? Um, didn't know I was going to do it. Um, I, I don't really know what I'm going to be when I grow up uh, still, but, um, but I love it a lot. Like, I think I've found, I found my, my, my purpose, um, the thing I love about coaching is that I get to be with an individual really, really um, impact and, and be with someone and walk alongside them. And it's just, it's really, really cool. Um, I only work with five clients at a time. I learned uh, that I, I burned myself out um, and that's how I fell into this. So um, Courtney and I, when we were uh, this is about four or five years ago, and um, we were high on life. Uh, she was home, uh, more home running a lot of the agency. I was trying to run it from the road, and I was traveling almost 200 days a year speaking, which uh, from the outside in looked glamorous, but it was really x-ray machines, uh, hotel rooms, nice hotel rooms, but I was alone. I, I, don't, miss, um, I don't miss traveling at all. No. Everybody says, no. Scott, don't you miss getting on airplanes and going to exotic locations? And I'm like, not at all. None. Yeah. Zero. I mean, it was, it was me, uh, and me. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. And I ate my way through every country. Um, I have a problem with food. I I'm probably, some people are alcoholics. I'm a foodaholic. And so, although I like alcohol too, but not them. And so I, um, I, I really, uh, I got fat and then I got diabetes and oh. I, uh, and I went, I got miserable. And then, um, my 11 year old son at the time, when I came home one day, he grabbed me by the hand and he led me up to his bedroom. And I said, I want to talk to you. Uh, and he's a really, really intuitive kid, um, and heart led kid. And he sat me down and he said, dad, um, you, he's really honest too. He said, you're really fat and you have diabetes and you're away a lot. And then we don't get to see you and you're missing my games and my sister's games and our school. And, um, and I don't think you're going to meet your grandkids and you're going to, you're going to die sooner than later because you're just, you're really unhealthy. And, and he's right. And, um, that like sent me into the, 
into the like bad universe. Yeah, there's TV and shows was, about that kind of intervention that happened, right? I mean, but not yeah. generally led by an 11 year old. No, <laughs> it was it was not good. Wow. So I um, I was on a plane again the next day unfortunately. And I was crying on the plane and I'm sure that people were like, what's up, what's wrong with him? And I got through my keynote and um, came home and I looked at Courtney and I said, um, I'm done, not with you, not with us, but with, um, uh, with pure matter as it is. And with uh, speaking, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So we exited everything. Um, and we took us six months to unravel 20 years of all of it. Mm -hmm. And we just re redefined it and, and re um, reinvented how we could be healthy and, and, um, and exited most, if not all of our clients and, and um, went through a whole process. It was really uh, hard, but it was really nice. So then she went to be, um, uh, went to help out as an outsourced CMO at a coaches training Institute, the largest coaches training company in the world in person, um, which tells you where that ended up. And then, um, and so then when she was doing that, she, uh, that was one of our previous clients that would became the president of that company. And she let us go through her whole program. And I was like, I took a year off after that. I was just like trying to lose weight, become healthy, all that mm -hmm. stuff. I went through the program and I'm like, wow, these are my people. I love this. I love this. Coaching is really cool. And I, I started to marry up coaching with what I was doing before marketing and leadership. And I went through their leadership program too. It was just an incredible program. And um, I started to get to know the CEOs at the company and started to formulate this idea that uh, that organizations should be coach led. Um, and that if, if every person was more of a coaching mindset, even salespeople, like if they led with the relationship instead of sales, um, that companies could be better off for this. And so I start, So I built an MBA program based on that for entrepreneurs to go through. And then I built a, um, a executive one-to-one uh, -one uh, piece for that. And then Pure Matter turned into a little bit more of a consultancy for that. So it's like, it's like this thing just opened up and I became a healthier person for all of the coaching That's great. piece that I now feel like is a more um, healthier way to be. That's great. I had, um, when I was at Clicktail, we had a... Uh a gentleman come in who did probably not the same and probably and nowhere near as programmatic, but did some coaching work. He was coaching with our CEO and led some executive offsites and things that we did. And it was really powerful because you know, we had a bunch of very experienced senior people in our management team, like any company is going to, you know, we all had 30 years of experience and we also bring 30 years of biases with that and 30 years of things that we think and 30 things, the years of things that we learn and, you know, an inability sometimes to absorb new. And uh, I saw our CEO really benefit from having that coaching relationship because he didn't have to just come to me because we still, even though we were close, we still had an employer-employee relationship there. And I could be frank with him, but not as frank necessarily as somebody from outside could be. And I wished at the time, I wasn't smart enough at the time to say, hey, I want a piece of that. Like, I would like to have someone that I can work with, whether it's him or someone else, to help me in that same way. But observing it and, you know, no connection necessarily between how you're delivering it and what you're doing, but just seeing it for, as a passive observer of someone being in a coaching relationship like that, 
I saw a really positive benefit to our company from it. And I'm envious of that. I'm envious of the people who are smart enough to take advantage of having somebody that they can lean on that way. Not necessarily, we all think about having mentors. Well, this is different, I think, than a mentor, right? It's, right. it's a different kind of relationship. Yeah. Um, well, it just depends on what you want. Because a mentor is somebody who's been to the mountaintop that you want to get to. And they're throwing a rope down to you and pulling you up. And sometimes that looks like an advisory board too. Um, it depends on how you want to define it. Um, and, and then a, a coach is somebody who walks along uh, aside, aside you and points out some of the blind spots that you're not seeing, but, but they're not showing you the blind spots. They're showing you how to see the blind spots. Because if they figure it out for you, it doesn't work. Right. If you, they show you how to see it for yourself, then, then you embody it and you grow from it and you start to, to charge it and charge for it mm -hmm. um, and become it and, and become a better person for it. And that shows up in work and in life. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's, uh, you know, I'll give you a plug. People need to reach out to Brian because I think uh, even though he's probably backed up on clients, because I think that there's an invaluable resource that people as they grow in their careers could utilize. Um, you've done... You know, you start. You mentioned the speaking and all the speaking that you did, and I know that when when we reconnected after Tea Leaf got acquired by IBM, and I think the last time we saw each other was at an IBM event where you were a speaker at that event. But you did you transitioned into that role of, as you said, two hundred nights a year on the road, um, doing a lot of speaking. You did TEDx speeches and other things. What was that's that's a different thing because then you're moving into. I know you're taking the expertise from the books and from other things, but. Um, you know, that's a different animal, right? Being on stage and being, you know, I've done a lot of it, never at that level, but, you know, just, I'd love for you to, you know, what was that like? Well, what's it like to be, and how did that change over the last year and a half when these events aren't happening and you're probably doing some of those speaking engagements, much like we're talking right now over a Zoom? Yeah. Uh, well, I miss the stage. Um, that's my, like, that's my, my Zen, um, being on stage. I, I absolutely adore it. I don't like the, the travel part, but I like the stage part. So um, I had to redefine the boundaries of how many I can take. And so that's what I've done. And, um, and so I, before the pandemic, I was then speaking um, like a fourth of the time I, I would turn down to others and pass it off to um, friends. And, uh, and so, um, and usually it, it was my wife saying, is it exotic? And then we can say yes. So that's kind of like, or not exotic, but like, somewhere fun to go. A, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. that's kind of how it went. Yeah. Um, if I, if I got another Vegas, uh, it was kind of like, Meh. um, but I, I mean, I like Vegas, but it's just like if New Orleans though, I love New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, um, Vegas and Orlando, if I, don't ever have oh, to go if back. I, I see the dolphin, uh, yeah. the dolphin hotel again, it'd be like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, so, uh, I love speaking. I absolutely adore it. And, um, and, you know, sometimes I would speak to a wall and that would make me happy. So, uh, that, that was really fun. The TED experience, um, was the, the, the most exhilarating, um, experience of my life. And I hated it. Um, it was just a, a total drain on my soul because of the way that they put you through it. They, the they assign you a TED um, person. Um, it was through the TED organization. So it was actually considered a TED, a, an actual TED experience, even though IBM uh, sponsored it. 
Um, and, um, and I had Juliet Blake, who's an amazing um, speaker coach. She was the president of the Muppets um, uh, uh, organization, and she did uh, movies with Oprah. And she was so she was intimidating because she was also British, and and she was intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, and she put me through hell to get to be up on stage and do what I did for seventeen minutes, and study for three hundred hours to do that. And and she put me through this whole TED thing and and the day before i i stood up in front of like 12 or 14 people i knew that thing backwards forwards middle to end word for word and i'm not a script person i'm a heart person yeah i can i can stand up with speech like you and we're we just speak right yeah. like from here because we just know like the message and the yeah but this was this was scripted and so um and i and i i lost it i i too much pressure and i i just i and tears started coming down my face and she's like, and Courtney leaned over and she goes, he is so under pressure right now. You all staring at him and he's under pressure and he's a heart speaker. And she goes, Oh, okay. I I can't even do the bridge. And she like takes my script and she rips it apart and she goes, okay, whatever you speak on tomorrow will be brilliant. I don't want you to practice it. I just want you to get up and give it and it's going to be awesome. And right there and then she just released me from this thing and it, and I got up the next morning I gave it and it was fine. Um but it was just that one moment that I was like, you, "Oh." But do do you think that that's awesome that she did that and it's awesome that it worked out that way? Do you think that she did that because she knew how much effort you'd put in that now you had it so invested in yourself? That you were yeah. going to be able to do the thing the way you could do it because you had the content it was just having it come yeah. out the way Brian wants the content to come out, not the way. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, and, and it informed the rest of my speaking career from that point forward. Um, uh, you know, I was backstage with uh, Brad bird who, who produced the, uh, the Incredibles. He directed and produced the Incredibles and he's standing there with index cards and he's bright red and he's so like wound up tight and I'm standing there with him and he's getting his microphone on. And I said, and he says to me, um, I don't even know how I'm going to get this done. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, you're Brad bird. You are like the next guy down from pixel at the uh, Pixar at the top. I'm like, you talk all the time. And he goes, I'm behind the camera. I don't do this. And he went out there and he, he did well, um, and, but when he said that to me, I was like, that, thank you. Yeah. That just helped me. <laughs> this, everybody is go like every, it's that red dot that was on this, on the stage that just messes with your head. Yeah. If that red dot's not there, it's not, you know, so I really enjoyed it and I really hated it. So it, that's how that experience went, but it informed my whole speaking career. Now coaching speakers now is, is one of my favorite things. Cause I, I love, helping people over that hump and getting them to that place of the story arc and how to weave it all in and everything that I learned to go through that was just like so cathartic. And the fact that you were able to get, I think one of the things about it is that, you know, distill the storyline, whatever it is to the 17 minute window, you have to be very precise and you have to, you get rid of extra and you get rid of extra words. Right. And that's like, you know, anybody who's verbose, I am throw in extra words. I just, I love to hear the sound of my own voice and uh, I think that having that ability to do that, then even if you don't use their structure and just, dis- but there's the concept around distilling it into something that's meaningful and punchy has got to be really helpful just in terms of how you craft things going forward. 
Yeah, you know, you give a 45-minute keynote or an hour keynote now, and and I'm I, I now give it and I'm like, okay, I'll do that for you, but you're I'm giving you more than you more than you actually need. Yeah. Um and and I, that's okay. That's how we as you know companies and people need need to hear that because that's how we've been designed and yeah. learned yeah. that that's what we think we need, but it's not. Um, we actually can only digest a certain amount and, and we only need one thing actually to take away yeah. to, to go be and do something to learn one thing. We're never going to take away from a keynote uh, 10 things, five things even, and then go do that. That's, I don't know anybody that's ever walked away from a keynote and then done all of them. That's, that's just not possible. Well, and especially when you think back to the, the whole earlier topic on social and other things. I mean, the reality is when you're doing that keynote, whatever it is, there's people in that audience on their phones. They're okay. listening. Some are really listening. Some aren't listening at all. They're, they're looking up your profile on LinkedIn. They're doing yeah. whatever they're doing out there. So, you, you know, they're not going to absorb 45 minutes of nuggets if you even had 45 minutes of nuggets. But if you go in and say, I want them to get one thing out of this or, you know, yeah. one single takeaway that at the end of the day, they were to say, yeah, I got this from that. That would be positive. I, I had it at a lesser degree. I, I dealt with it forever in training salespeople because I was the guy who would be responsible for creation of the message. So theoretically, I was the best at then telling the story. And I would train salespeople and they would come back and they would go and I would beat the hell out of them, probably like your your British Muppets lady did on their presentation style until finally I got like out of my own head and said, they just need to absorb the content. You want I want them to know the content. Tell the story their style. Their style's not my style, and I wouldn't want it to be. I want them to be them. They're professionals. Now, what drove me nuts is when people would actually just learn it as a script and not actually take the time to ingest and internalize the content. Because if you ingest and internalize the content, you know, the, the old phrase we always use in marketing, well, what's the elevator pitch? Well, what's the theory of an elevator pitch? Well, you get in an elevator and you know, you, can you tell someone's grandmother in an elevator what your company does? Mm -hmm. My answer was always, well, it depends. Is the elevator going up one floor or is it going to the top of, of you know, Freedom Tower 1 at the World Trade Center? Because that's a big difference in terms of length of conversation. And I finally got out of that and said, I just want them to understand it and be able to say it. If their mom were to ask them, what is the new company you went to work for do? They could tell them and have it make sense to their mom who knows nothing about technology. Going back to your point earlier on simplifying. And I'm sure, you know, for speakers, it's the same thing, right? When you're on stage, just simplify it down. Don't overwhelm people right. with, with buzzwords and techno speak. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, you know, my whole goal is to get them to look up from their phone. And, um, you know, if there's a dip in there, you gotta, you gotta learn it over time and know your story arc. Um, uh, there, there's a thing that, sh that she had me do that I now have my clients do. And that's, if you go and watch a Ted talk, any of them, um, some of the good ones and watch some of the, you know, uh, you can see by, by views. Um, and what you do is you just put a piece of paper down blank one from your printer and you, um, will take your, your pen or pencil and just like a heartbeat monitor, 
um, you start at the beginning and uh, as the story is going, you kind of lift, lift your, your pen up or down. And so as it's positive, if it's sharp positive, like, like you feel it like lifting up and you can feel the audience mm -hmm. lifting up, you can tell in your heart or your gut mm -hmm. and you go up. And then if you can tell it's dropping and the negativity is there, or it's like no one, you know, not paying attention or you know, lower it and see what's happening for you. And just, just keep going all the way through at the highs and the lows actually mark what happened, like write down, like just a short statement, mm -hmm. not every time, but just like, what is that high? What is that low? Or what is that flat line? And, and when you look back at the whole thing, cause it's only 15, 17 minutes, yeah. you get a really good idea of what a story arc is. And, and you do that enough in, in a Ted talk, or even when you're watching a keynote, do the same thing um, just for fun. Right. You're going to get really good at, at telling your own story mm -hmm. and being like, okay, what is it that I want? What's the impact I want for my audience? Yeah, what do um, I want because that, that story to arc be? is the same one you want to deliver so that it's not the highs and lows that you, that you are thinking you're delivering, but what is it that, that they are getting? That's really great advice. Um, so hard pivot. I don't know how hard it is. Pivot. Um, I'm finishing off every pod by asking all the guests to give a little insight into themselves and to uh, the stuff that um, that they're interested in. And what it's done is all my I've had people comment on uh, on reviews and things that they really think that I'm just trying to build out my own playlists of of music and movies and things to watch out. So which is probably fairly true, but it's my podcast, so I can do that. So first of the questions: Is there a recent movie? show documentary or something that you've binge watched that you would uh, recommend to people uh, yeah the um and i'm blank why am i blanking it's on uh netflix and it's takes place in spain and um and it it is in um spanish um darn it uh, and it's the number one most watched thing now uh, in on Netflix, and I am so blanking on it. It's a bank. It, they're bank They turn into bank robbers. Um, so now I'm googling it, and I'm buying time. That's okay. Um, we, we've got plenty of time. Uh, it's it's audio. It's free. And so um, it's the money heist. Okay. And it is amazing. Like the, the, you don't pay attention. You start forgetting that they're actually dubbed over in English. And I think Netflix is actually nailing it right now in international films. Yeah, like yeah. you, like their dubbing is so good. Like it almost replaces, like you don't see the English over their mouth. Like even with squid games right now, I don't know if you're, I haven't seen it. I've heard a lot about it, obviously. Yeah. I don't really watch gruesome stuff like that normally, but we're watching it and I'm like, wow, this is this is really uh, deep, um, and I would if you're if you're okay with watching that, I would. Yeah, I, um, we saw um, there's a there's a TV series that Netflix distributes in the U.S. called Fauda, which I was turned on to when I was working in for Israeli companies, and it's a story. It's it's a drawn out story about Israeli intelligence guys in Palestine and in Gaza, and it plays both sides of the storyline. It's the Israeli side, but it's also the Palestinian side. It's it's an interesting show. It's very award winning there. And they've done that same thing. They've dubbed it. Now, and maybe I'm more comfortable because I've spent enough time around Israelis and I get Israeli language 
English versions of, you know, Israeli speaking in English, but they do such a great job. I don't even see or hear the accents anymore or see the subtitles anymore because I can hear it. My wife started to watch it and she's like, man, I'm having trouble following it, but they do do a really good job. So um, Money Heist, that's a good, that's a good one. Yeah, Money Heist. And then in on screen, I would say, I just watched Dear Evan Hansen. We go to the movies every Friday night. Really? Um, that's my son's thing. Okay. Um, he is, and before, during the pandemic, we got a little um, projector and we did that in the backyard. Um, and uh, Dear Evan Hansen um, is, a, if you're just psychologically with, um, with everything that happened this last year, also with how kids are growing up and right now, during what's going on, like with social media and the pressure and um, everything. I just think that is an, a, it, an incredible it a, film. It was a Broadway show adapted to a movie, it, right? Yeah. yeah. A huge, huge uh, music is incredible. Um, uh, yeah, I won't go deep into it, but it's okay. it's worth watching. Another good recommendation. Um, is there a, uh, a recent book or a podcast other than your books and my podcast that you've listened to that you want to recommend to people, something that people might be interested in listening to or reading? Um, my friend, uh, Drew Neiser, he just brought out on October 5th, the renegade marketing, um, book 12 steps to building unbeatable B2B brands. And he laid out, um, a new way of looking at, um, how B2B needs to simplify, which is exactly what you and I were talking about and why they haven't gotten it yet. Um, and what, what's taking you so long. Okay. So he actually, uh, interviewed, uh, I think it was like over 500 CMOs and to put this book together and it's really good. So Great. I would recommend that. Great. Good reco. And then, uh, last question, any song or artist, somebody you you can't get enough of, you've got on repeat, somebody who's just dominating your playlist these days. Can be new uh, or old. I'm going to say that there's a channel I listen to on Spotify that I can't get enough of. And um, if you're a Spotify person, I'm sure they have it on all the other platforms. But what I do is I, uh, I set up, this is my wife's recommendation. I was like, man, um, you know, all the tricks. So um, discover weekly on Spotify is a channel and every Monday they bring out a whole new set of songs. And so it, it's like, it's cause I, I'm not smart enough to know like mu like where to go for new music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I don't know people that like, I don't want to just check out one song at a time. I don't have that kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm too 80. So discover weekly, if you look it up and then, you just set it and forget it and listen to the music when you can. And then I just sit and I like the song when I, when I, as I hear it, I'm like, I like that. I like that. I like that. And then I just go to my liked songs every now and then just to hear the songs mm -hmm. I know I love. And then every Monday I start listening to the new weekly again. That's and that's awesome. been my back and forth. So that's awesome. Um, that's my tip. Um, I yeah. remember when I, when I was living in the Bay area forever, when K fog existed as a radio station that, you know, back, you know, that weird thing we called radio stations. Yeah, K Fog. Right. K Fog being one of them, that every day they did a thing called 10 at 10, that at 10 o'clock in the morning, that one of their guys curated it would be the use, the term they'd use now. They didn't use the term curated, but one of their DJs curated a playlist basically of 10 interesting songs that probably the vast majority of the audience wouldn't hear otherwise. New music, old music, obscure music, whatever it would be, and played it. And I got so many things on my personal playlists from that. So this sounds like 
another type of thing like that. But with Spotify's audience, it can be generated from all over the world. It's not just one guy in San Francisco pulling it together. So yeah. 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 How funny. Cool. Cool. I remember KFOG. That's a long time ago. Yeah. It was a great radio station. So, well, Brian, thank you so much for being on with me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate connecting back with you. I, uh, I, I've really enjoyed us catching up and trying to remember back in the days, I think the last time we actually spoke together, we both had hair and neither one of us had glasses and I'm lying because I didn't have hair and I did have glasses, but there you go. So it's good to catch it's up. It's wonderful to speak to you as well. And uh, thanks for reaching out. I'm honored and happy that we get a chance to reconnect and um, be on your podcast. So yeah, thank, thank you I so really much. I appreciate you being here. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Narrative. Your feedback is always welcomed, as are your shares and, of course, your reviews. Please subscribe and review The Narrative on your podcast platform of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.